You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Lift your two hands with me. Our Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. And Lord, as we speak about the risen Christ today, let the power of the cross pervade and permeate this atmosphere. Make it conducive for life transformation, uh, for miracles, for signs, and for wonders. Breathe upon your word this morning. Let it minister grace to every hearer. And let no one be the same again. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Put your hands together and you may have your seat. All right. Uh, so I'm going to start out this morning with a God experience. Maybe perhaps for the first 10 minutes and then I will teach for another maybe 35 minutes. Um, my friend, Pastor Ayo Tuyalo is here. And Pastor Ayo, we thank you. Thank you for watching at the Life Point Church this morning. We appreciate your presence. I know you didn't want to be recognized, but I, I will not preach without recognizing you. <laughs> Let's put our hands together for Pastor Ayo Tuyalo. <laughs> Praise God. So, my name is Godman Akinlabi. Um, I grew up the first is it 20 years or so, or up from birth up to my teenage years in, in Oyo State in Nigeria, um, specifically in the city of Ibadan, and a bit also my hometown. Uh, which is also in Oyo State, that's Igbora, outside of Oyo State. My, my parents um, lived most of their lives in those two cities, you know, transversing. We have homes in the two cities or in the city and in our village. Let me put it in better context. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a home of a politician. My dad was an astute politician. If he was alive, uh, this January he would have been 91. He passed 10 years ago, the year the Elevation Church was founded, 2010, um, I think January 10 of 2010, <laughs> at 81. Uh, living with him was an experience. He was a man with a large heart who loved people and also had a knack for uh, influence. Was, he retired from the civil service in the 70s and went into politics. 1982, I was a young kid, <clears throat> and I remember my dad contested uh, for the House of Assembly in Oyo State. He was an honorable member. He lost that election, and um, it was a, very, a bit of a trying time for my family. But he was an unrelenting politician. So he contested for many other positions. Um, in fact, I think it was 1979 that he contested to be the honorable member of the House and lost the election. Uh, 1982, which is, was another cycle, he, he then was, I think, chairman of, vice chairman of, of NPN, the defunct NPN in Oyo State. Um, 
I was a, a little kid when we also hosted the then President Sheo Shagari in our home because my dad was a chieftain in the southwest of the NPN. Why am I telling this? I'm telling this story, this part of my God experience, because it's a bit relevant to what is going on right now. Um, I was born into the house of a politician, a polygamous home. My mom was, uh, happened to be the fourth wife. Um, and I think I should be like number 24 or 25, uh, as in, as the, um, yeah, the children. I'm the second to the last in the, uh, of, from my mom, was six from my mom. Each uh, woman has between average of five, six, seven, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so I grew up in uh, a place you can call the Fuji House of Commotion. I don't know if you know that, those of us who are old enough, you know that, uh, uh, <laughs> that series that used to run back in the day. Um, we were also a Muslim family. So my dad, my dad's, my granddad happened to be the chief imam of my hometown. So I grew up with a mosque in every house that my dad built, and not, uh, not just a, a mosque in the corner of somewhere, a proper built mosque. Yeah. Every house that my dad built had a mosque in the compound. Our houses were not uh, small houses, big compound with mosque, with different things. That was the kind of house I grew up in. Um, we were many, so we didn't used to lock our doors. Nobody could raid our house. Uh, if you come into a house where there are maybe close to 40 people at any given point in time, you will need help to be, able to, <laughs> to be able to hold us down. I'm just giving you a context of how, and, you know, how I grew up. Um, on Tuesday, when I went to the protest ground here at the toll gate, and we took a walk uh, to the first headquarters at Onikon, going on the street, I saw young people you know, smoking weed, doing all kinds of things, and it reminded me of my growing up days. Because my dad was a politician back in the day in the late 70s and the early 80s. Our politics in Nigeria has grown a bit. We're like toddler, a toddler now. Those days we were in full infancy, you know. It was, it was uh, hoodlums they used for politics. Yeah. So in our own compound, you have at any given point in time like 10 thugs. They smoke weed from morning till night. Yeah. So even at age five, if you're smoking weed, I know it's weed. I'd, I'd inhaled so much that I knew different grades of weed. Yeah. That was how I, I grew up. And as a Muslim boy, started reading the Quran very early, uh, being trained to be able to read the Quran very early. Um, in the 80s, I went off to high school, and something started to shift. So in the 80s, I went off to high school, government college, Ibadan. And at a point, I had to go into the boarding house, which for the first time freed me from being at home. Uh, when I got into the boarding house, God started to do his own thing. And I'll tell you, uh, for this, uh, maybe I still have like five more minutes for this God experience. But God started to do his own thing. And uh, this was the most remarkable thing that happened. The day that my dad decided I was going to go into the boarding house and all, and he drove me to school with my load and all that, we went straight to the principal's office because the principal happened to be his junior colleague in the civil service uh, before he retired. So he asked, who is the current principal? He said, Mr. Desoji, I still remember very well. 
We went to Mr. Desoji's office, and uh, the man stood up to greet my dad, and, all, and my dad was, um, was almost treating him like a junior colleague. <laughs> so he just asked him, my boy is here, he's going to the boarding house. Um, um, I want him to be able to mix with the right people. Uh, can you send for his class teacher? And then he sent for my class teacher, and the class teacher came to the principal's office, and my dad asked the class teacher, who is the best student in your class? Uh, the guy said, oh, this so-and-so person. And he said, oh, he's also the class captain. So he's, my dad said, send for him. <laughs> the name of the guy I also cannot forget. His name is Owonka Henry. Owonka Henry lives in, in the UK now. Uh, we were on a Zoom call together in August when I attended uh, the Hold Boys, my set uh, meeting. So they sent for Owonka Henry. And Owonka Henry came to the principal's office. And... Um, my dad told him, this is my son, and he's going to be your friend. <laughs> so the, the, the poor young man did not have any choice. I mean, the principal was sitting down, our class teacher was sitting down, <laughs> and an elderly man said, this is your friend. And the guy said, yes, sir. <laughs> so he said, my dad said, so both of you, you walk into, you go to class together while I finish talking with the principal. So... So I walked into the class, and it was the beginning of a session, actually. So it was a, a new class. I walked into that class with Wonka Henry. The only thing my dad did not know, that Wonka Henry happened to be a born-again Christian. A tongue-talking born-again Christian, as at that day. I think it was about 15 or 16-year-old, you know, like 15 or 16-year-old born-again Christian. So walking into that new class with Wonka Henry, both of us smiling and talking, the assumption was that uh, I was a Christian. Wonka had like four or five guys, all Christians, born-again Christians, young dudes, because it was a boys-only school, who were his friend, and there was a clique. So because Wonka was the only person, Henry was the only person I knew in that class, I had to still hang out with him at least for a few weeks before I settled in. So... Getting, I mean, getting back into the boarding house, we went for a time we call prep in the afternoon after lunch where you read before games. And maybe this will shock you. And if you have nieces and nephews and when you raise your own children, please pay attention to them because these kids were well behaved. That was what I noticed. We got into class for prep just to study and they asked to say a prayer before they started reading. As at that time, the only thing I prayed before I did was food. Yeah, when I remembered. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So I was shocked. They're praying before you read? So at that point, I had to tell them that I was a Muslim. So they excused me, actually, and went and actually, like, held hands or something. They prayed for a few minutes, and then they came back to read. I couldn't read because I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. Never. That young, you know, dudes, you know, and they were not looking funny. They were, because when I got into class, I got a stare, as in people were looking at me because I didn't even know it was wrong. <laughs> my, my shot was a little bit <laughs> on the knee level and with turn-ups. And turn-ups was not allowed in that school. So my <laughs> it was just because it was my dad. They gave me the permission to say, wear it, and then you change it. So everybody was looking at me, like, who is this boy that's breaking all the rules? But it was just because my dad came with me. So they thought 
And can I also say this? As at the time I was going into that class, that period, that holiday period before I went for that resumption, my, my brothers had spoken to me and they had indoctrinated me. As at that time, this was maybe, was it 86 or 87? Uh, as at that time, one of my older brothers was the head of Pirate Confraternity in the University of Ibadan. He had his poster on the door of his room. My parents did not know what it meant. So he could display it openly, even at home. They would just say, ah, what is this one that this one is pasting here? And they would walk past it. But uh, the ones that are younger than him, my own mom's firstborn was also in the University of Ibadan at that time. He was younger than this, my older brother from another woman. He was the one that told me and was telling me the kind of life that our older brother lived in the, on the campus and the fact that ah, he's a big guy and, you know, <laughs> and that we should emulate him. <laughs> so my mind was actually, like, in my high school days, I would look for any confraternity that's available. I would be a part of it because there was something in me that was just yearning for an expression. So God organized that I will not get into a confraternity. I will get into the midst of his children. And it will be my dad who happened to be a Muslim that will hand me over to Christians. Because I, I couldn't leave these young dudes, though I knew that our lives were different. The things they were doing, was, I mean, it was very different from what I was doing. But I saw a very high level of sanity, a sense of responsibility uh, that I could not gain. Say, I knew there was something special about them. Also, they were the best. I was in class D. And these four or five guys were the best students in the entire set. Yeah. And they were Christians. And because my dad had told me he wanted me to be a, in the group of the best students, I knew when I, get, when I got home, he would ask me. So I didn't want to leave them. Though I still wanted to happen on the other side. And they left me and gradually they started to talk to me. Talk to me. They would just ask me simple questions. I remember one day we were taking an endurance walk. This must have been 1988. Taking an endurance walk. A long walk. We used to do all kinds of things in the boarding house then. And our tutors were around. Um, it was more like a mini marathon. And a young man, Sheikh Salami, was beside me. He was one of the, the group members. And was telling me, was asking me, ah, uh, Godman, uh, do you know anything about prophecies? I said, what is prophecy? He said, have you read anything about Nostradamus, the man who saw tomorrow? So he was actually talking to me from the natural things. He didn't quote Bible or anything. So he told me some of the, 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 the written uh, prophecies of this guy that he called the man who saw tomorrow. And I was intrigued. I wanted to know more. And then he then told me that, look, this guy, some of the things that this guy wrote about, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, the wars that will happen in the world, you know, and all that, that they were actually in the Bible. That aroused more curiosity in me. Because nobody had ever told me there was a prophecy in the Quran. And uh, I didn't mean to denigrate or anything uh, Islam. I'm just saying the truth. As at the time, I didn't know anything like that. So I was, and then another time, uh, Muiwa, one of the other guys there, was talking to me about miracles. <laughs> that have I seen a healing miracle before? So all these things got into my mind and I started thinking. 
I started thinking about all these things. And months down the line, in 1989, uh, and thank God it happened before we left uh, school eventually, they invited me to a fellowship. It was a Friday, November of that year, the last Friday in November, we were almost approaching Christmas break. I left the Jumat service, the Friday uh, prayer set uh, for, for Muslims that day. I was, you know, very regular at the mosque. I was known there. I mean, my dad was, uh, was uh, a bit popular those days and was a Muslim. So everybody in school expected to see me there. And uh, I mean, apart from that, at home, like I said, we had a mosque. So I didn't used to miss mosque. I even used to do call to prayer at 6 a.m. Yeah. With a microphone from our own mosque. So I've been holding microphone for long. <laughs> so that Friday, I went. As I was leaving the Juma service, I just remembered, oh, Shegun invited me. Oh, uh, Henry invited me. This, all of them invited me. You know, so many of them, I was like, these guys will not be my friend again if I don't go. That was all of them. They literally bullied me. To so I just, as I was leaving the mosque, I just walked through to the school chapel, and I entered like this, sat towards the back, just seeing what they were doing there. In my mind, I was a Muslim boy. I had friends who just wanted me to show up at this event, and I was going to show up to honor them because they've been kind to me. And they had accepted me into their fold, and we're all doing well academically. As, in, as at the time, uh, those set, including myself, were the ones that represented the school in every debate, every, you know, um, what are those jet competition and all that. You know, we all used to represent the school. Either I was with two of them or another two or three was within that same set. So I didn't want to leave them, and it's pain, it was paying off. So an adult was invited to preach, and the man stood up and preached, and I felt very convicted that day. I didn't know how I reached the front. People were looking because most of the people there knew that this was a Muslim boy. Call it long story short, I gave my life to Christ. And um, a few couple of weeks later, we went on Christmas break. I didn't know how that Christmas went for me. It was a mix between being saved and not being saved, but I knew something had happened in my spirit. Back at home, I still went to the mosque. I did everything until we got back mid-January or so, back into school. And then the dilemma of, am I going back to the mosque? Because at home, you could just blend. Now in school, I had my friends who knew I gave my life to Christ and the people who knew me before. So back to school, I summoned the courage to stop going to the mosque and started attending the fellowship with my friends. And a couple of weeks down the line, they noticed the Muslim students and all that. I had uh, A-level students who were the prefects. And these A-level students, like three or four prefects, gathered together and came to call me out of my room in the boarding house one day, took me to the back of the hall outside and asked me why I'd stopped coming to the mosque because they were Muslims. These were guys that, that could literally kill me. They were like SAS. <laughs> I 
and we were older because we were uh, upper six, upper A level students, you know, muscular and all that. And I was, you know, almost peeing on myself, just wondering what are they going to do with me. Um, as I told them, they said, we know that your dad is a notable figure, is a Muslim, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, we can talk to, you know, we can report to you, we can do this. I was just looking at them. After they calmed down, I said, they said, won't I say anything? I told them, I don't know what to say, but the only thing I want to say is that I need help. I need help. That I'm not really sure what I'm doing. I need them to pray for me. And just, if they can just give me some time to think through everything. Everything I said that day, with the benefit of hindsight, was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Because no reaza, I didn't plan it. I was afraid. I was jittery. And you know, to the glory of God, all of them looked at me and said, let's leave him. He, he looks sincere. We'll be praying for you. And that was the end of it. Yeah. So till I left that school, nobody bothered me. I was free to go to fellowship, to identify with Christians, and I became a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And a lot happened as I got into, I mean, got back home, left uh, secondary school, um, all kinds of threats to be disowned by my parents and all. That's a story for another day. But let me fast track. Maybe about two years after or so, um, or a little over that, then in university. So I got into Federal University of Technology at Korea to study mining engineering. And... Um, the moment I got into that place, I just started feeling that there was more that God wanted to do with my life. And this would take me into my message of today. There was a lot more that God wanted to do with my life. So I will attend the CEO fellowship, but I will feel discontented. Yeah, there was a holy discontent. Just something that was yearning for more inside me. Something uh, that made me feel that maybe there was more that God wanted to do with my life. There were restraints and constraints of if I do more, this may lead to, you know, being annihilated by my parents or just being cut off, or if, maybe a better word is to say cut off, you know, and all that. If I do more, this will happen, that will happen. Let me tell you another thing that was on my mind because this may bless somebody here today. Uh, I, I, because I knew the kind of home I came from, almost every male in my house has a proclivity for polygamy and all kinds of things. So I couldn't reconcile. How was I going to be a Christian? Because Islam allowed polygamy. How, how, how are you going to be a polygamist Christian? Because I didn't know that I, I would be able to keep one woman. Because in my family, it was not. Uh, and I thought it was a DNA issue. <laughs> I was afraid to be a strong Christian because I thought I would disappoint God, disappoint everybody, disappoint the people that preached to me. That was my fear. Though I was saved, those early days, you know, after leaving government college and all that, I was still hooked on soft porn. I still had my issue with soft porn. And all kinds of things hanging around me that made me feel like 
If you go further, you will become a disgrace. So just stay. And then when the thought of maybe God wanted to use you, I was like, me? Maybe it's not the real God. The real God cannot use someone like this. Yeah. Because I had my fears, my agitations. I had things that were holding me back that would not just want me to, to go forward. So I got into university and it was as if those things were still going to hold me down. But I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit telling me, you can go on, and as you go on, I will sort you out. <laughs> and that's what I'm speaking, I mean, from my heart to somebody here today. I don't know what may be seeking to restrain you from wanting to push ahead in your spiritual life or wanting to push ahead in the fulfillment of God's purpose for your life. I need you to understand that just like those uh, uh, lepers that Jesus sent to the priest, they were not supposed to show up before the priest without being cleansed. But Jesus, he didn't even really pray for them. He just said, go, show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says that as they went, they were cleansed. That was, that was my testimony. As I went, in obedience to God, trying to do more for God, all those things just started dropping off. Yeah, just started dropping off. The fears, the agitation, you know, uh, the feeling of, you know, just... I mean, I've been married now 17 years, and sometimes I look at myself, come on, you have been married 17 years, and you have never cheated on your wife. Where did you get that from? That's not in your family lineage. <laughs> My dad had about five, six wives, and yet he would pick me up from the boarding house and would still go to another woman's house for the weekend. Can you imagine carrying your son to your concubine's house? Yeah. That, that was how I grew up. So, uh, those things... It takes the power of God and the fire of the Holy Ghost to burn them out of your subconscious. Yeah. Because we were supposed to be a, a, a generation that would be better than the previous. If I was going to be better than him, by now, <laughs> you know what would be happening. As in, if I was better than him negatively. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying all this for somebody to recognize here that your background is not supposed to be your future. Yeah. Where you are coming from is not where you are going. They're two different things. And God is always in the business of cutting us off from where you're coming from and taking you to the place that he has for you. Genesis chapter 12, when you read from verse 1, God spoke to Abraham, come out of your people, out of your kindred, and go to a place that I will show you, and I will bless you. And make you a blessing. And in you, and in your seed, all the families of the house shall be blessed. That's the God's pattern. Take you out of something bring you into a new thing that is different from what generations have grappled with in your lineage. So you need to recognize that your past is not your future. Your past is not your future. That's my testimony. That's my testimony. That's my testimony. Yeah. That's my testimony. That God separated me from my past and gave me a better future in Christ Jesus. And I can go on and on and on. Uh, my God experience has many parts. So this is the part I'm sharing today. Maybe another time I will share another part. But let me add this one to it before I, I share briefly and we close. 
when I got into the university, and there was a staring, like I said, in my heart. Eventually, I overcame that pull, that thing that was pulling me back. And I ventured with a couple of friends to start a fellowship. You know, when you are starting a fellowship with trepidation, and my greatest fear was that I was going to mess up with a girl and I would become the disgrace of that university. I'm serious. That was my greatest fear. Yeah. My fear was not that uh, any other thing would happen. I, wasn't, I, I didn't fear that I was going to fail. <laughs> I, I no book. I didn't fear that uh, money cannot miss in my hand. You understand what I'm saying? But my greatest fear was that that thing that's following you from your father's house <laughs> will disgrace you. The devil kept telling me you will become a disgrace. I said no. And God helped true. In a year or two of starting that fellowship, it became like the happening thing in that, in that school. Like the happening thing in that school. Fellowship grew in a, in a university of just a, a small university of about 1,500 or, or so people. The fellowship grew to about 200. And this was a fellowship that just started by, you know, a small boy and a few people. I think Pastor Hayo Tiyalo had, you, you, were, you were with us once in that fellowship, I think, yeah, once. Yeah, so you know, it's been long that we've been coming together. Yeah, <laughs> it was in OAU then. <laughs> you know, so this was, let me, let me just say this finally, finally. I can't remember which year, whether it was 1994 or so. There was uh, this serious courtist activity in the university. And um, a couple of guys were killed. And 32 students were listed as being part of, of it. And the 32 of them were rusticated. They, they called them those days Futa 32. And the list was pasted everywhere. It was even on network news. So... Our fellowship was, you know, building up then, 26 years ago, yeah. And some of them, you know, obviously, happening boys, they follow babes. One of the blessings of that fellowship was that some of the most beautiful babes on campus started to come. <laughs> and some of them came with their boyfriends, as it were. These 32 students, about... 20-something of them did not leave school. They stayed in school still. So a few of them followed their, their, their friends, their lady friends to the fellowship. And I was just growing, you know, stronger as a believer and, you know, owning my, my, I mean, the grace of God of my life to be able to preach. But I just realized that I'll be preaching and some guy may just fall under the anointing there and start rolling on the floor. And I heard on the day you say it was one of those court boys. About eight of these court boys gave their life to Christ in our fellowship. And so one day, the vice chancellor invited me to his house. And I had dinner with the vice chancellor. And he said, I've heard about what is happening in your fellowship. He said, um, if you can give me a list of the ones that you have reformed, <laughs> I will present the list to the Senate and we'll get them back to school. So when the Bible says the Savior shall arise from Mount Zion, 
you know what the Bible is talking about. But don't forget, this person that looked like a savior also had his own issues. <laughs> that was struggling through and growing through. I think um, I could count like five or six names that I gave to the vice chancellor and they were eventually reabsorbed back to school. But the story did not end there. That year, I was the most popular student in the university. And that influence had to be stewarded correctly. So, an incident happened in the university and, cut a long story short, a boy died. And the school was shut down. When we got back to school, this must have been maybe 95 or thereabout, I can't remember. When we got back to school, and these were also days of a bachelor and lockdown and shutdown. When we got back to school, the, the student union and the, the populace, the students, decided that they were going to do some kind of procession for this guy and a bit of protest. Or peaceful protest. So they made a coffin just to represent, you know, and then they, some people carried it and we had a procession all through the campus and they would stop at critical junctures within the campus, about three places, and then they would call me to pray and to talk. I did that. I had those pictures for many years. I can't find them again. Those were not days of digital, this thing that you can save easily. I didn't know that the vice chancellors got the news about all those things. And then we became, I became his enemy because of that. And all the good deeds were forgotten. So, there was this faithful day, and this is where I'm going to end this, I promise you, after now, I'll just read the Bible, preach for 20 minutes, and we'll be gone. Yeah. <laughs> this, 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 listen to this. So this faithful day, I cannot even remember the month because it was a terrible day that you don't want to remember. This is my own story of police brutality. A lecture was about to finish and somebody came up and announced that the school was going to be shut down in two hours by 12 noon. This was 10 a.m. And there was a circular. We didn't know it. that had been pasted on the doors that everyone was to leave the school by 12 noon. So that lecture, we hurried, and people started moving back to their halls of residence. And as we were going, I was looking for my assistant pastor. I was looking for, you know, because I knew, as at the time, our fellowship had grown to maybe about 300 people. Yeah. Ladies and young men who will have to leave. Some of them going to Lagos. Some of them going to Benin, going to the east, going, you know, to Oyoste, going to different places. And... We had, this was like a Friday or so, we had fellowship on Thursday. I knew some of them were broke. They still came to ask me for money after service. So I was looking for the fellowship treasurer. Can we get some money out? These were not the days of ATM. We used to keep cash, you know, and then maybe put money in the account later and stuff like that. Can we get whatever we have and distribute to the people who did not have transport fare? Those were all the things I was doing until it was like quarter to 12. And I heard a loud noise that they were going to count down to 12. And anybody that is still on campus, whatever you, they did to you, I started running to my hall of residence. I got to that place just about 10 minutes to 12. Ran into my room. 
carried my travel bag and started packing. As at which time, we have mobile police surrounding every hall of residence and the school gate. They were counting every minute. One, two. I came out, as they said, ten. Since I was born, I'd never been beaten like that before. From that day till today, nobody has beaten me like that before. When I looked at myself in the mirror, I could not recognize myself. My head was like double the size. Yeah. Plus kicking, plus everything. My face was like this, my head. I couldn't touch my head because it was so painful to touch. Because only God knows the amount of, you know, banging of clubs that happened to that head. Eventually, I was able to grab my bag and drag, and they told us to be running into the bush. I found myself in the bush. They, we couldn't even run outside because there were another set of mobile police at the gate. And I didn't want to die. So we ran into the bush, and I found myself very close to a particular staff quarters. And then remember, one of our staff advisors lived in that staff quarters. We just crawled to the man's house. Well, Professor Mufayo, I still remember his name. You don't forget such people because they saved your life. And the man opened his door to me and one other friend. That was where we stayed till almost midnight. We now found a way to go into Akure town to go and stay in a friend's house there. So if you're talking about police brutality, it's not today. Yeah, it's not today. It's not today. The story I told you now is about 25 years ago. Yeah. Since that day, I, I say it again, nobody has ever beaten me like that in my life till, from, till that point and up till now. And don't wish that any one of you will be beaten like that till you die. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. So, I said that to mean that we can have a better nation. We can have a better country. But it's not going to be served a la carte. We're going to have to do something. Yeah. We're going to have to sit down and negotiate. But how will that happen? It will happen when you and I decide that we're not going to look away from the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3. And you give me about 15 minutes and I'll wrap this up. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, I hope I've not messed up your service today. Okay, because I know you probably came to hear some very powerful revelation and all that, and I don't know what I've done so far. Exodus chapter 3 from verse number 1. I'll read up to 5, and then I'll read 7 and 8 as well. Uh, let me read from... The New Living Translation. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses started, uh, stared in amazement, sorry, he stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flame, it didn't burn up. 
This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Can you help me look at your neighbor and say, it's time to go see it. He said, I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. God said, do not come any closer. The Lord warned Moses, take off your sandal from, uh, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their ash slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their fertile and spacious land. It is the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Etites, Amorites, the Parasites, Evites, and the Jebusites now live. Now, look at this, verse 9. Look, the crowd of the people of Israel have reached me and have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now, go, for I am sending you. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. The Lord bless the reading of his word. It's important here to note that as a call on your generation to play your part in the plight of our nation and how things are going to turn around. And when God is calling, we always have the option of looking away or staring a little bit more. Because it's in the lingering and staring a little bit more that you start to feel a quickening in your heart. Can I say that one more time? It is in the lingering and staring a bit more that you can feel a quickening in your heart and you can hear a voice. It was when Moses said, I'm going to now see this thing more that God started to speak to him. At some point, he was just wondering, how come this bush is burning and it's not consumed? How come these young people are doing all this and they are not consumed? How come, you know, more than a week has passed and the whole nation is still mesmerized by a generation whose time has come? The bush has been burning, but it's not consumed. And it's in the looking a little bit more, in, in, in trying to Learn your voice that some of you are going to discover the call of God on your lives. It's in trying to look at what is happening and asking the question, uh, can I get a better understanding of what is happening here? Can I look a little closer? Can I ask a few more questions? That's where God starts to speak. Some of you may be consumed in what you are going through right now. Maybe you've been looking for a job for a while. Maybe like me, you, you have a personal weakness that you're struggling with. 
And God is tearing your heart and you feel, no, 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 I don't want to disgrace God. You know, and all that. A, a young lady <laughs> applied for a position, you know, in, in, in church recently. And after a while, she disappeared. And I had to place a call to her to say, ah. Uh, so they told me about it. A young lady, ah, you applied for this position. We said, did you come? I said, PG, it's only you I can talk to. I cannot take the position. I said, why? I said, my life is not okay. I don't want to come and pollute the church. I said, I've never worked in church before. <laughs> in my heart, I was, as I was talking to her, I could feel her because I've been there. Where you feel, God, just leave me where I am. I cannot join the workforce in this church. I don't want to be in the choir because uh, my mind is not straight. I am still shacking up. Or I am still, you know, doing this. I am still doing that. All kinds of things that seek to restrain us from the things that God wants to do. And all God is asking sometimes is, can you look a little closer? Can you get in a little deeper? But it's because it's in the getting a little deeper that some things will start to drop off you. But you notice that as Moses then decided to go a little further, God said, stop there. The only thing is before you come a little closer, remove where you're coming from. This, all the places you have been, you know, because your shoe represents all the places that your feet are spread upon. Yeah. He said, you, you, need to, you need to take that off and put it aside. Put it aside. Can you hear me tell your neighbor, say, it's time to put it aside. Yeah. The things that represented your weaknesses, your proclivities, your idiosyncrasies, God sometimes will demand that you put it aside. The symbols of the places you have been. Yeah. The symbols of drug addiction. The symbols of depression. The symbols of low self-esteem. Can I tell you something here today? Nobody will be able to maximize the call of God on his or her life until you have actually trusted God to help you deal with low self-esteem. All through the scriptures, when you look at the people that God used, nobody felt competent. Is it Jeremiah? Is it David? Was it Saul, the king, when Samuel saw him? Is it not that God has appointed a commander over his people? Saul was looking, command, command what? From where to where? Who, who are you talking about? Yeah. And then he poured the oil on his head. That's what you see all through the scriptures. Jeremiah, I've appointed you. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 3, as a, uh, uh, as a prophet to the nation. Jeremiah said, but I'm just a child. Yeah. Moses here, time will not permit me to read further. You see the similitude in Moses. Moses said, but I can't talk. I'm a stammerer. Yeah. And God said, are you done? Not, for all of them, the issue is that God will listen. Some people have two things. Some people have three things. Like myself, I was telling you, uh, what I was telling God was that, God, you know where I'm coming from. This one, you will make a mistake if you call somebody like me. Yeah. We don't, I mean, in this house, there are some things we don't do well. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have your excuse, and it has suited you for many years. But if you want to make progress in your life, it's either you jettison the excuse or you keep romancing the excuse because the excuse will hold you in one place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This young man listening to me right now, God has a glorious marital destiny for you. But you need to look beyond where you are coming from. Take off your shoes. Yeah, yeah. Take off your shoes so you can step into that glorious marital destiny. You need to stop all those double dating, uh, you know, sleeping around, doing this one, doing, take off those shoes and trust God. What you, see, 
when I speak to singles, I say this. How you live your single life will directly impact on how your marital destiny will pan out. Yeah. You don't have to be ready for marriage to start preparing for marriage. In fact, it's the preparation that actually makes you ready. Because how you are living your single life is already showing whether you are preparing for marriage or not. How you're living, you know, your career life right now is already showing whether you are preparing to lead in the future a business, an enterprise, or not. But don't lose me today. There's a staring. Like the staring in the heart of Moses. There's a staring. There's a staring. There's a staring. There's a staring. A staring that is going on right now. And it's prophetic to young people all around the world. That it's a time that God is about to raise a new crop of leaders in the political world, in business, in the church. Yeah. In the church. See, I have, I have this next decade as my, perhaps my last most active pastoring decade. I had to keep reminding myself. Yeah. Because after this next one, is coaching. Yeah. You know, in different areas of life, for instance, in football, the average retirement age, I think, is about 30 or something like that. Yeah. In some more rigorous sports, it's lower than that. In some easier sports, uh, you can do it up to 40. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but church planting is the extreme sport of ministry. Yeah. You can do any other thing, <laughs> you know. But when it comes to Pastoring a congregation or a chain of churches uh -huh. is extreme sport. You have to find a way if you don't want to, <laughs> if you don't want everything to crumble in your lifetime. You have to find a way uh, to turn yourself into a coach while you are still, you still have some strength to coach well. I don't even know how I got into that. I think I'm looking at Pastor Busola too much. And I was looking at uh, people that, <laughs> people. And all the pastors here that are on the pipeline, the people who hand the baton to, that's why maybe it came to my mind. You see, for sure there. Better hold your hand very well. Yeah, to receive. <laughs> Praise God. So, guys, that's a call. It's time to take off your shoes. It's time to focus. It's time to hear what God is saying to you. As I wrap this all up, if there's anyone here who feels like all these things that are happening, they don't, they don't resonate with me at all because, you know, I just don't feel like I can be used for anything significant or anything great. Maybe you're in the wrong place because in this place, our vision is to make greatness common. We believe that every man, every woman can be great. We believe that everyone that comes into Christ, whom the Bible calls a seed of Abraham, as the mandate of greatness on their lives. Because in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, what he told him was that, I'm going to make you great. Yeah. So everyone in Christ is the seed of Abraham and can be great and should be great. And greatness is beckoning on us at this time. We have to look beyond how we're going to get the next meal or the next salary and all those things to how 
God is going to use us practically. See, Moses in Exodus chapter 3 that we read was an employee. He was working for his father-in-law, Jethro. The animal that he was shepherding, they were not his own. And he was in the midst of all that, him feeling irrelevant, feeling like maybe God has sidestepped him because he had a very glorious beginning. God sought, sought you know, uh, uh, you know, looked after him from the beginning, looked out for him in the midst of the water. That's where he got his name from. He was taken out of water. Moses, yeah. God looked out for him and got him out and then orchestrated his training in Pharaoh's palace. And all of a sudden, he made one simple mistake and he had to run away. Maybe somebody's looking at me today. You feel that you have made one grievous mistake. And can I tell you today that one mistake is never fatal? That was what Moses did not know. I don't know how grievous the mistake may be, but one mistake is never fatal. Yeah. And God still looked out for him again and said, there's an appointed time. The time I've now heard the voice of the cry of my people and I'm sending you. And if you feel you're not capable, it will not make me change my mind. It will not make me change my mind. The sense of a good esteem rests on three legs. One is a sense of being loved, a sense of being accepted, and a sense of being adequate. Yeah. When we talk about self-esteem, it rests on three things. If I want to have a strong sense of esteem, it means that I will have a sense of being loved. When you feel rejected, you feel like, you, you, you have a very bad esteem. A sense of being adequate, that I'm good enough. I hope you're, you're getting what I'm saying. That I'm good enough and a sense of being accepted. A sense of being loved, being adequate, and being accepted. Can I say this to you? Those three things we have in Christ. Yeah. The Bible says we are completing him who is the head of all principalities and powers. So I'm adequate. Yeah. My strength is not in myself. It is in what Christ has done inside me. I'm loved because the Bible says that God loves me. I don't care who, 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 who seeks to hate me. I'm loved. And I've been accepted in the beloved. <laughs> so there's no reason to exercise any sense of rejection, any sense of not being adequate. It's not about you. It's about the grace that God has given you. So if there's anyone here today, you still embrace any form of excuse that make you feel like you're not good enough, uh, that make you feel like you can't do it, you can't fulfill destiny, you can't go out there, you can't be one of the people that will change this nation, you can't be one of the people that will change your industry, you can't be one of the people that will make greatness common. I've come to announce to you that this burning bush experience that is going on in our nation today is for you and I to understand that God is not true with our nation and is looking out for you and I to step up and take our place. Step up and take our place and not allow where we have been or what we have been through to stop us. Will you lift your two hands today and just tell him, Lord, here I am. Whatever you want to do with my life. As we leverage the testimony that I've shared today, I need you to, to ask him, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, I want to release my life to you. I want to release my life to you. Use me. Use me in any way. 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 
And if there's something that you have been trying to show me that I've been looking away from, will you ask him right now, Lord, I open up my heart to you. I want to be able to catch signals. I want to be able to understand what you are doing at this time. I want to be able to find my place in the scheme of things. I don't want to be a part of a generation that will be sidestepped. I want to fulfill my destiny. Whatever you are planting me anywhere in the world, I want to be a light in the midst of darkness. And it's going to start from here in this country. Will you speak to God today? Will you speak to God today? Will you speak to God today? We now live in a borderless world. Thank God for the internet. I want you to reach out to God today. Anyhow you want to use me. Anyhow you want to use me. Online, offline, within the particular industry. Anyhow you want to use me. There's people here that the call of God is upon your life to transform lives through ministry work. And maybe you've been feeling a sensing in your heart. And it's time to tell him, Lord, I'm releasing myself to you. Someone here, God, may be stirring your heart. You need to do a bit more in the social sector. And be a blessing. Be the voice of the voiceless. And lift the poor out of the dust. You need to talk to him today. Lord, I'm yielding my heart to you. I'm going to jettison my excuses like Moses. And I'm just going to step out. I'm going to step out. I may not be able to speak, but God said, I don't need your tongue. I prepared Aaron, your brother, who will interpret for you. Oh, I don't have anything in my hand. God said, drop what you have in your hand. For somebody here, it's just a skill that you have. God wants to use it. Yeah. For somebody here, it's just your network that God wants to use. Whatever God wants to use this season, will you just tell him, Lord, have your way. Have your way. I release it to you. I release it to you. If you can use anything, you can use me. If you can use anything, you can use me. If you can use anything, you can use me. Yeah. If you can use anything, you can use me. You can use me. Lift your hands to him and just tell him, Lord, I, re I release myself completely to you today. I release myself completely to you today. And I ask that you have your way in my life. Lastly, before I take my seat, I want somebody to pray today. Whatever holds you down, whatever makes you feel inadequate, will you pray to God right now? I'm breaking the hold of these things over my heart in the name of the Lord Jesus. I've shared my own testimony with you. I was almost held down by pornography. Not to be able to step into the fullness of God's will for my life. But a gracious God watches our steps. And when we insist that we're going to move on with God, despite and in spite of our weaknesses, what happens is that God starts to wrought mighty deliverances in our lives that will cause those things to just drop off. And I see things dropping out of your life today. In the name of the Lord Jesus, will you stand on your feet? Stand on your feet, everyone. Stand on your feet, everyone. Stand on your feet, everyone. Glory be to Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. This thing is dropping off your life right now. Jesus, Son of the living God, we ask that you move in your grace over everyone in this congregation today. Touch, set free, deliver. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we stand against mental slavery. We stand against any form of oppression. We stand against uh, uh, images of the past that may be holding someone down. We stand against negative habits, destructive thoughts. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we decree that you are free, freedom from your innermost being. Will you lift your two hands to him and just begin to speak to him in any area where you believe only God 
can break this thing from my life. Only God can work a miracle in my life. That God is here right now. That God is here right now. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to break every restraint. He wants to break every restraint. He wants to strengthen your mind to step beyond your limits. He wants to show you that your fears are unfounded. And that he has used people who are worse than you in time past. <laughs> and he made something great out of their lives. If God can use a cheat like Jacob, <laughs> then he can use anyone. He can use anyone. He can use anyone. Will you lift your hands to him one more time? Today I say, Lord, just, just, just use me as I am. And I know as I lift myself to you, everything that is contrary to your will and your purpose in my life, they're dropping off right now. Dropping off right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'm going to pray two prayers and then we're going to bring uh, this time of sharing to an end. Can you lift your two hands with me today? And I want you to give God your full attention right now. Right now. Just honor his presence in this place. The presence of God is strong in this place. And until you connect with him with your heart, you may not be able to receive anything from God at this time. But if you can connect with him and just see him as the one who is always walking in your life, he walks behind the scenes. Bible says, for we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and accord, according to his purpose. It's always working behind the scenes, orchestrating things in our lives. And I feel a, a, a very strong knowing in my heart right now that God just wants to break yokes right now. The things that you look at and you feel unworthy to be used of God, God wants to break the hold of those things in your heart. Somebody is listening to me right now. The next time you pick up a wrap of weed to smoke, you're going to lose the taste for it. That's what God just spoke to my heart. Yeah. You're just going to feel like this is no longer for me. This is no longer for me. This is no longer for me. So what takes people, you know, what takes people a lot of therapy to come out of as I speak over your life right now, those chains will be broken. Whatever the devil has planted to limit you from fully giving expression to the gift of God over your life, whatever the enemy has planted in your heart, around your life, that make you feel unworthy to be used of God or make you feel unworthy to think thoughts of greatness, because you feel, I may just mess up. I may not hit the mark. I may disappoint my parents. I may disappoint my friends. Those things are dropping off your life right now. Lift your two hands with me. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm a testimony of your divine help, mercy, and deliverance. And because you have no favorites, I pray over the life of a young person here today who may have a limiting thought 
a barrier in the mind. We stand in agreement of faith with every individual to pull down every stronghold in the name of the Lord Jesus. I speak the covering of the blood of Jesus over everyone's mind and we ask for a miracle of a divine release. I declare today that your mind is released for greatness. Your mind is released for divine incubation of divine revelation. In the name of the Lord Jesus, your mind is released to be able to capture God's call, God's divine direction for your life, especially for this season. In the name of Jesus. God, the same way you spoke to Abraham, you said, look, and he said, as far as your eyes can see. Lord, I pray today, open the eyes of your sons and daughters to be able to see far, to see wide, to see into the nations, to see into industries, to see problems that you have here marked for them to solve in life. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we stand against limiting thoughts, imaginations, and barriers. We break the hold of condemnation and guilt. We decree right now that you are free. You are free. Free in your mind. Free in your heart. Free in your spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. If there's anyone here, there are things you've tried to do. Maybe business, maybe a job, maybe anything at all dream, something, and it's been tough, or it has not, the needle has not moved at all, you, you, you pushed, and the door has not been opened, can you just put your hand on your head, I want to pray for such people right now, it's a barrier breaking anointing over my life, but I believe God wants to release over people, I've seen dreams come to pass. I've seen, I've imagined things. I've seen visions and I've seen them come to pass in my short life. Yeah. One of such is this place where we are right now. I remember Sunday afternoon, the first day I came here, the picture is still available, with a bottle of oil in my hand. The owner of this place, then we were still at Magnolia Hall at Unicom. The owner of this place they were saying they don't want to give it to church. They don't want to lease it. They don't want. We came here, and I prayed over this place. I said, God, if this is the place, then let all the walls come down. Yeah. And this place is very symbolic for our ministry as we celebrate 10th anniversary, because this is where it looked like God announced us to our world. Yeah. We came in here, just about 200 or 250 people, and in 18 months, we were running three services here. We're already running into thousands. Yeah, in 18 months here. <laughs> and the first time I came here, the, the owner of this place was just like, you know, my husband is a Muslim and he doesn't want to have anything to do with church and all that. And then the favor came. This place opened up. They put up this tent and all that. And last year, May or so, they were the ones that came to meet us to say, now, do you want to buy this place? We said, how, how, much, how much are you? Uh, we said, what's your asking? They told us they're asking. We negotiated and we paid. Boom. 
And as, we, as at which time, we didn't even have to, but because this place is very symbolic, we had to. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying there are certain things sometimes that look like a barrier. For somebody here, it may be a nation. It looks like the door has been closed to you. Yeah. <laughs> and the door is going to open. Yeah. For somebody here, it may just be, you know, that you need a space for business, whatever it is. Or you want to step into an industry and take your position. Will you lift your two hands with me right now? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you because you organized and orchestrated this hour for the opening of doors. Lord, we have given a testimony of the things you have done in time past. And replicate it in the life of everyone under the influence of my voice. So we decree right now that doors are open for the fulfillment of your destiny. Doors of financial provision. Doors of nations. Doors of industries. In the name of the Lord Jesus. That when they will ask you to go bring something. Bring a document. Bring a proof. My God will locate it for you very fast. Your story shall be like the story of Jacob. Isaac asked him, my son, how come you found it so quickly? <laughs> you will find it quickly. In the name of Jesus, my God will, will surround you with helpers of destiny. This season, you will not lack help. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you. Thank you. As your sons and daughters leave this place today, we declare they live with a barrier-breaking anointing. So they have become unstoppable in the precious name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lastly, with all else power, can I pray with anyone who may be saying, PG, I need God in my life. I've heard all the prayers and all the preaching. And thank God for your God experience. But I need my own God experience. I need God in my life. I need God in my life. Maybe your prayer is, I just want to give my life to Jesus. Or I just want God to receive me because I've prayed that prayer before. But I know now I've been disconnected. And I want to be reconnected. I'm tired of condemnation and guilt. I want to uh, be able to live with God with a sense of I'm a child of God and my father is always there and he forgives and he redeems and he's a God of love. If you lack that right now, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. That the hold of guilt and condemnation will be broken over your heart. That the liberty of the Son of God will be your portion from this point on. And that you will continue to start to live in the peace that only Jesus can give. If there's anyone here right now, I want to I want to reconnect with God. But I want to just submit my life to Jesus. Can I see a show of hand? Just lift your hand a bit above your head and I'm going to pray for you. Just lift your hand above your head and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you for that hand. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to lift your hand, just lift it above your head. Let me just see that you're lifting your hand. I just want to be sure that you're, uh, that, uh, that you're praying with me. Something new is starting your life from this moment. Never be the same again. Never be the same again. Never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. Thank you, Jesus. If your hand is up, I want you to say after me, say, Lord Jesus, 
come to you today. I know I've been disconnected. I want to rededicate my life to you. I ask that you fill my heart with your spirit. Forgive me my sins. Cleanse me from every unrighteousness. And accept me as your child. Say today, I declare that I'm now born again. I'm fully dedicated to God. To serve God with my life. And be a blessing to my generation. Say, I've become unstoppable. Sin will not stop me. Because the power of sin has been broken over my life. I decree and declare that I will walk in the spirit. And I will follow God the remaining days of my life. In Jesus' precious name. If you just said a prayer with me, our counselors will have put a card in your hand. Please make sure you feel it. And they would love to reach out to you after now. Uh, for everyone, it's been... Uh, a blessing reaching out to you today and I hope and believe that God has dropped a seed in your heart that will grow and lift you to your next level in Jesus name. I'll see you again very soon. God bless you. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.